the Carrison Price for Friday, December 29th, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're coming downtown for a game, a concert, an event, why not make it a staycation? Call the wall 604-331-1000. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price. Trevor Martin sitting switches conducting things for a vacation in Grady Sass in this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Everybody loves the friend with the pickup truck. Be the friend with a pickup truck. It's worth the trip to Port Hardy for Applewood Ford Port Hardy's deal on the F-150 right now. 0.99% with $1,500 in bonus cash as well. Head to Port Hardy. Applewood Ford Port Hardy. It's all good at Applewood. Full question today. What is the Canucks' biggest need? Top six winger, top four right shot defense. You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. And we come to you, first of all, saying a belated Merry Christmas and early Happy New Year. Following a 4-1 Vancouver Canucks defeat to the Philadelphia Flyers at Rogers Arena in their first game after the Christmas break. And uh, really, they just decided to extend their Christmas break. Based on the effort level last night, one of the worst losses of the season for the Vancouver Canucks, a second stinker against the Philadelphia Flyers. And you got to think that burns Rick Tockett, legendary flyer, that his team did not bring it either in Philly early in the season when they got that tongue lashing and did not bring it against the Flyers Thursday at Rogers Arena either. And Torts is maybe one of the uh, key competitors for the Jack Adams award for yeah. Rick Tockett. And I'm sure Torts loved getting those two points last night. And the fact, I mean, the fact that they just overwhelmed them there late in the second period. And, uh, you know, they, there was that brief moment early in the third with the power play down just a couple they got the super early goal. I mean, that was just, that was on a tee for them to stage a comeback. And yeah. then the, the defense, I mean, honestly, their, their handling of the puck all night long. Yeah was nothing short of disaster. Like, And, and you wonder if the layoff hurt them and, and the fact that, and they are going to get practices here, but it's another, you know, pretty significant layoff until Tuesday's next game at home against the Ottawa Senators. Three goals in a two-minute and six-second span in the second period, late in the second period, turns a nil-nil game into a 3 nothing Flyers lead the loss ends an eight game point streak for the Vancouver Canucks. They still finish eight, two and two in the month of December, but have a looming six game road trip, six games, 11 days back. East coming up in January. Let's hear from coach Rick talk because he has messaged this several times during the course of the season on the rare occasions when the Canucks find themselves in a low scoring or scoreless game, but you got to be comfortable in that situation. You know, I think I've told you guys before, we got to be comfortable playing a zero zero game. You know, who cares? Like, and just take what's given. Um, you can't get frustrated. You know, you can't get, you know, because people are in your way or people are hitting you, you cannot get frustrated because it's going to get ramped up even more than this game. And I think that's, and that's the learning lesson we're talking about. So, um, yeah, frustration. When another team works hard and you're frustrated, you, you got to be careful of that. I'm not a big fan of that. You just got to keep working and working, <clears throat> making the smart play, take what's given. I thought a couple times we could have got the puck in deep and went and got, you know, pressure our D and we made some east-west plays. Some guys are trying to stick handle through the whole team. Um, just, you know, things that we don't like, you know, we – most of the year we haven't done that as much, but I felt tonight we 
handful of times we did some dumb things, obviously. You guys saw it. And there you go. The other team sort of is able to lure them into frustration. And we saw that last night, including from the captain, Quinn Hughes, who broke a stick uncharacteristically. Yeah, I think they, you know, it's a physical team, worker bees. Um, it's just, it, Torts has just got them all bleed. This is what Torts teams do, like vintage Torts Blue Jackets teams. Think about those Blue Jackets teams, like, they weren't much, and and he just had them believe going it. Back to the Rangers, like back, it wasn't yeah. the most star-studded, you know. Yeah, so it, it mean it's a it's a bit of a warning shot for the Canucks about a, a recipe to beat the Canucks. You know, play them heavy, take away the time and space, and you they're not. I mean, honestly, there's just how many times carrying the puck over the blue line. A, I mean, this is maybe this is where a dump and chase Rick Tockett style is. I mean, nothing worked last night. Dump and chase, carrying the puck over. Nothing worked. But you you just expect the big stars to be able to do something. And, of course, the only line that had any semblance of doing something was the the line that scored, and they had another opportunity or two as well. And and what's the the calling card of that line? It's effort. It's grinding. Forecheck. Forecheck. You know, could create loose pucks. And so perhaps it's no surprise that the the only line that had a semblance of success was the line that sort of plays almost a tortsy kind of stuff. Yeah, Bluger with the goal, Joshua with an assist. Hughes gets on the board there as well. As you heard Coach Tockett say, too much east-west, too much stick handling. Nils Hoaglander a couple of times in the neutral zone. Puck's got to get deep, son. Which brings me back to our poll question. I voted top four right side defense. And I voted just because, to me, that's a more premium piece than the winger. Also because... If you have that piece, then maybe you can win these lower scoring games a little bit more readily or have the ability to play that style. And we're going to hear from talking here in a second about needing to adapt in these sorts of games. Um, Also, because they just seem so hesitant to play one of these lefties on the right side. We'll see what happens when Carson Soucy returns. That could be as early as Tuesday against the Ottawa Senators. Blake, I would like to think you have two potential solutions for that top six winger in either Andre Kuzmenko, the 39 goal man from last year, or Nils Hoaglander, if he can continue his progression. But the hockey IQ of Hoaglander and just the the unwillingness of Andre Kuzmenko to play Tockett-style hockey, forecheck, lay the body, all that, their potential solutions... I'm starting to have my doubts whether either of them can be the solution. Well, exactly. What you? I, I think you hit the nail on the head there at the end. I mean, I, I think what you've had is a bunch of bottom six guys who played really well, have earned a look in, uh, uh, for promotion, but ultimately they had success where they were. That's probably what they are right now. And, I mean, you could even extend that to Ilya Mikheyev. When's the last time Ilya Mikheyev made your jaw drop? Good chance last night, but no, no finish. The, I mean, Ilya Mikheyev is, not, and he earned this comparison for a number of reasons. But remember Yannick Hansen, Canucks kept on putting Yannick Hansen in the top six, and we were like, boy, love the energy and want and want there, but my goodness, that's not top six finishing. And Ilya Mikheyev may not be that guy either. Um, Canucks need a winger to score, and if Kuzmenko can't be that guy. 
and he actually had his underlying stats yesterday were just fine. Like that line did okay. The that line had the puck. That line the great ex- chance. I mean, Atkinson with a terrific save. <laughs> the expected goals against for that line was point one two. I think for, that was their best line for Kuzmenko. Night. And I was pleased to see Kuzmenko get the run with Pedersen. I know he scored against San Jose, but that to continue. We were talking about before the break. Just give him a run of games, and, and I do think that. Pocket should still give them a run of games here. Well, you got nothing. I think it's official now. They have no other options, like Suter and and Hoaglander and stuff like that. Like that's just band aid. That's well, just Hoaglander wasn't even an option on the no. second line at one point last. Night. No, yeah, when Suter got in there. So yeah. and, and he and Talkett admitted as much. I was just I was just doing it for the sake yeah, of doing exactly. It. Um, just want to see anybody going. Your best bet right now, uh, with without a trade in in the offing here, your best bet is Kuzmenko. Like, he's the only guy certified to score at a top right. six level. And if you happen to have a lead or in a tie game in the third period and you don't like Kuzmenko that night, then come with Suter, play a more defensive posture, bank your point, or protect your lead and bank your two points. Here's the coach on what they have to do in these sorts of tight tech, uh, checking games. They need to adapt. They've done a nice job uh, this year, half the year, but it's going to get harder for them. They got to understand that you know we're going to have to play a certain style sometimes. If things aren't going your way, you're going to play North style and just and just chip away at it. You can't because you you know you're not getting a lot of shots and and it, it's a, a stalemate type of game. You got to stay with it. You got to have that resolve. You can't just oh I don't like what's going on and then I'm going to start toe dragging people. I'm going to try throwing pucks in the middle. Like you can't you know you got to have that mentality to. to Things are like at a stall. You're okay. You know, I think that's the the next level for this team. And to me, Blake, this will be one of the big tests because, and we'll talk to J-Pat about this later in the show, but you know you're going to the playoffs. Barring a long losing streak or a significant injury to a star player that leads to a long losing streak, you're all all but certain to go to the playoffs at this stage of the game given how well you've played through the first 36 games, but also given how poor the Western Conference field is, particularly around those wildcard spots. So many opportunities here for dress rehearsals of playoff-style hockey. And I think that's where we're going to need to drill down and put our focus. The next time the Canucks are in a low-scoring game where one break, one mistake can make the difference, how do they react? How do they respond? Yeah, I mean, they've got a very, very difficult month of March with all those L.A. and Vegas games, but more so right now, this seven-game road trip is going to be a grind with tough teams to play against, but they are gone for two weeks, seven straight on the road. We're going to learn a lot about this team um, over the next, yeah. well, eight games now because they've got to bounce back against Ottawa at home first, but that's seven games in seven or eight games in eight different cities starting on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, if they survive that, I think the, that, that playoff probability goes even more through the roof because then they've really only got one tough stretch left. And that's, uh, through the month of March. Yeah. And let me correct myself. I said six and 11 earlier at seven and 12 on this road yeah. trip that's coming up. What did you make of Casey DeSmith instead of Thatcher Demko? Um, it, it was curious to it. me. I didn't love it. It was curious. We asked J-Pat, you'll hear Jeff's reasoning. I understand it. I still didn't love it. I just didn't understand. 
damn. Well, days. and now Thatcher Demko has a hell of a break. Yeah. Like he's like the long break. The backup is accustomed to that. And even if you do buy that, he, um, he hasn't looked great recently. I mean, he, he just had the long rest. Like you, like everybody just had a really good rest here. Um, I don't suspect fatigue would be an issue. And you know, he's he's a part of that seven zero and two run as much as as much as Casey DeSmith is. In fact, <laughs> more so, right? So, um, I, I yeah, I mean, both guys were sort of due for a start. Um, if you don't if you put Demko there, then it's ages for Casey DeSmith uh, in between starts, but. I, it, it's a bit odd, bit odd, but I think he played fine. I mean, two of those goals were him completely hung out to dry one V one. Um, I mean, you could argue three. It was, it was not, it was well, not. I'd well. like to save somewhere there, but I, I hear you. But I mean, they're glorious opportunities. Well, not the first goal. It's a floater from distance. No, not that one. Everything else pretty much. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Heck of a shot from Sean Walker. Yeah, to be a but again, he, he's all alone. Um, uh, Faraby all alone, mm-hmm. and the shorty was all alone too. Defending the rush there on the second goal. Standing ovation for Marcus Naslin, who, as we know, is in town. He's doing the autograph event at Pastime Sports Langley on Saturday. Starts at 1 p.m. We sent a couple listeners there with VIP tickets. Thank you to Ken Richardson and Pastime. Uh, Marcus's son is moving here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you see a role for the legendary Vancouver Canuck back in the front office? He does have some front office yeah, experience exactly. for Moto. Um, yeah, could be. Or, or maybe he's a, he's a great idea for more of a, of a European, um, had a scouting sort of opportunity as well, or, you know, if, if they wanted a job share that, mm-hmm. um, because he's back and if he, if he's going to be back and forth a lot, he could yes. maybe, you know, be a, a really good communique mm-hmm. back and forth from, uh, from the European side of things. So, I mean, we'll see. Susie. Let's say he's back Tuesday against Ottawa, or if not, and he's back for the first game of this seven-game roadie uh, Thursday in St. Louis. Which lefty defenseman flips over and plays the right side? If I had to guess, it would be Ian Cole. I would agree. Just uh, he seems to be a bit of a teacher's pet, and I mean yeah. that in a good way. Just that he he's a good soldier there for Rick Tockett, so I think he probably would just say, "I right. trust that guy the most." And thirty five years old, yeah. Towards the end of your career, this is what's going to be required what we need of you, of you if yes, you're going to yeah. continue to be. An, and he's been very good for them this year uh, in Cole. But yeah, I I, I think once Susie gets up to speed, he becomes an option. Hockey sense, all those things probably mean that it's going to be Cole. Although I gotta say, like. How about the hit last night from Noah Jolson? A clean, too. Mm-hmm. Boy, tip of the uh, stick tap to Noah Jolson and what he's done over a quarter of a season now yep. for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, there's part of me that wonders. Yes, you need another defenseman still. No, but there's part of me that wonders, are they actually going to take Jolson out of the lineup? Is there any world where Jolson can stay in the lineup after Susie's return? And Zadorov looks on for a game or two. 
I mean, that was a disaster of a game for, for Zadorov. Mm-hmm. He skated into the net on the first shift of the game that nearly popped the puck out of the slot. Right. Like he just skated into the net, <laughs> like his own net. And then, and then the one that leads to the goal, he just, he, he just skates into all, he thought he would stick out through the entire team, I guess. Mm-hmm. Skates into the opposition player and they go the other way. So, yeah, not, not a great game for Zadorov. So, I, I almost wonder if Rick Tockett uses that first game back for Susie as an opportunity to sit Zadorov for a game. Mm. I, I just wonder, not necessarily healthy scratchers from a performance point of view, but from a load management point of view. Maybe. I mean, some of these guys are older, Cole in particular. Mm hmm. And you want to keep guys fresh. You know you're going to the playoffs. Anyways, we'll see how they manage Carson Soucy's return to the lineup as soon as Tuesday, but I suspect at some point on this trip. But it, it, ultimately, it healthy scratching Zadorov, I don't think is the end of the world. And that I, I don't think Zadorov's going to be resigning here. I I, I don't. I, I well, think not that, if he wants five by five. Right. Like the Canucks are just not doing that for no. a flawed player like Zadorov. If he could play the right side and be and stick in the top four of the right side, then you're cooking with gas. But they've been hesitant to play him there. We'll see if he's the guy who flips over because he has probably played right side a little more frequently than the other guys. More recently, more recently, if yeah. not frequently. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, lot, to, lot to um, Zadorov is an off season file. Much like, but, but my point is, I don't think they have to preserve the relationship here. I don't think healthy scratching Zadorov is off the table because I, I don't think that they're necessarily worried about the future relationship here. Uh, it's off-season file, much like Elias Patterson to Chicago. Huh? <laughs> so just get prepared for this, everybody. Connor Bedard is Pied Piper, and we'll see him, the pride of North Vancouver, at Rogers Arena January 22nd when the Blackhawks come to town. You remember back in the early days of Connor McDavid, where the Oilers went on that spending spree the one summer, Milan Lucic and other wingers. And of course, Vancouver was involved in Milan Lucic. And part and parcel of it was hey, come play with Connor McDavid or come play on Connor McDavid's wing. I suspect that Connor Bedard is going to have a similar moths to light impact for the Chicago Blackhawks, where free agents, where agents with players seeking a trade, are going to be quite attracted mm-hmm. to Chicago, particularly the forward group. But, I mean, hey, he's going to float competitiveness in time regardless. And so I think you're going to want to, I think you're going to see and hear a lot of, oh, and especially given the way they're structured with their salary cap, of the Chicago Blackhawks being in on just about every big name that's out there. And, Blake, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Not having a resolution to the Elias Pettersson contract matter is going to bring these sorts of distractions into the fold. Right. It's inevitable. But this supposed insider anyway. Uh, Matt Murley of uh, Spitting Chicklets talking to Colby Armstrong. But they, they, they back themselves into a corner when they admit, well, he's an RFA, so I'm not sure how this happens. Well, exactly. Like It's not like Elias Pettersson just chooses to go to Chicago in the offseason. No. There's no, the only way this would work is that if Elias Pettersson lets the Vancouver Canucks know, I don't intend to resign here. Right. At that point, then you're on the trade market for Elias Pettersson. Right. But again, 
to find, for the Chicago Blackhawks to be the eventual landing spot. He's got no say in the matter. At least Pedersen doesn't have, you know, like. Well, other than he could inform the Canucks, these are teams that I would sign an extension with. These are teams I would not. Which winnows the field, but you're quite right. It's There's no trade does. protection, though. I mean, no, like, no. No, but I mean, if you're trading for Elias Patterson with one year left on his contract, then you absolutely need to know. So it could well be a um, pared down field if it gets to that. And, and yeah. of course, that will be a huge file for the Canucks in 2024, right? Yeah. And especially prior to the deadline. It's not a hard deadline. And the Canucks will go to great lengths to tell you, no, it's two years with Elias, which... Fair enough. By the letter of the contract, he is your property until July 1st, 2025. You do need him to, you do need his name on a new deal for next year. I suppose you could qualify him. and yep. But that is by no means the ideal solution. You know the Vancouver Canucks are going to want to talk long-term extension. And... You know, the Canucks would like that in place before the deadline so they know exactly what they can and can't spend for next season. Or at least closer to, because Philip Ronick is out there as well. QO's 8-8 for Elias Pettersson, by the way. On of the World Juniors. Where? And we thought it would be uh, a Canucks contingent floating the Swedish team, and boy, have they ever. Yeah. And maybe the least likely guy is the one at the top with the ice time that Elias Pettersson is is uh, hauling down. The Elias Pettersson D EPD yeah. with twenty three minutes and twelve seconds in Sweden's second game, the ice time leader. He does not play power play, folks. That was twenty three twelve of even strength and shorthanded minutes. Tom Melander, Vancouver Canucks first round pick, twenty twenty three. 19 and a half minutes. He was second on the team and back on the right side. They played a righty on the left side earlier in the tournament, which was a little odd. Wheelander also doesn't play power play. So these are even strength and penalty kill minutes for these two guys. And uh, those are harder minutes to play. Then there's LeCaramacchi with two goals against Laffey in the opener. Should have scored in their second game as well. By the way, uh, you have to put yourself down for ease and O's. That segue demanded from one Elias Pettersson to another. Like that, that was there on a tee. Well, you did the segue. You did, yeah, but it was just there. I'm disappointed. Okay. Um, also, you um, know, for us both or for the entire market, we're, we're finding out Lekramaki, not Lekaramaki. Accent on the, lecre, on the first syllable now is, is what it seems to be. Lekromaki. Is that how Gord's pronouncing yeah, it? And you know, Gord's a stickler for the Gord accuracy. Lekromaki. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good to see them all involved. And I actually do perk up a little bit when I see Lekromaki um, with assists. We know he can score. Yes. Notice the shooter. It was yeah. thought to have one of the best shots, if not the best shot. One of the best, if not the best, goal scorer in the 2022 draft. He's had a couple of great helpers, though. But the the question was, a one-trick pony perimeter guy, mm-hmm. can he also generate offense when he's not shooting the puck, when he is passing the puck? And then secondly, can he play inside between the dots? Yeah. He's involved. He's noticeable. 
That's the good news. And Canada, Sweden, a big one on Friday. Then there's this. And shout out to Ben Lipkout and Abbotsford for doing the math. It had been 2,916 days between AHL goals for Abby Canucks defenseman Matt Irwin <laughs> of Victoria when he tied the game in the first period against the Calgary Wranglers. His next AHL goal was the overtime winner as Abby beat Calgary 4-3 on Thursday night. Vasily Podkolson scored as well. So some terrific happenings down on the farm. And as we move towards the second half of the NHL season, Blake, you wonder, is that push from below coming? Are we going to see an Arshdeep Baines? Are we going to see an Atu Ratu? Are we going to see a Vasily Pod Colson or any of the baby Canucks force their way into either the NHL lineup or at least into a call-up and more opportunity? Yeah, I, I do wonder. Um, although, you know, like Christian Willannon would be here in spades, I think, if he, um, you know, if he was on the right side. I mean, he, another, another two assist night. He just just moves the puck and creates offense for the Abbey Canucks. Pod Colson, I think, needs to get on a heater before he gets a real look. Yes, he's, Rutherford has said we're in no rush there. He's percolating, and, it, and, it, and it's going. He's got goals in two of his last three. Like it, it, it's starting to ramp up uh, to his pre-injury sort of rate a little bit. So you know, again, just let that marinate. Uh, well, I don't think it's there. I don't think anybody's storming the Bastille to to. Uh, to demand a promotion just yet, but it's, it's on the table. It's a, it's a possibility. It's been Linus Carlson with three NHL games who has gotten the call up. He's 24 though. I, I do wonder whether part of that is to, you know, know what you have and what you don't have. Um, Zane McDonough as well. Who's 24 down there, but yes. And Ratu is still fine, but not, not playing amazing. He's got 20 points in 27 games. It's mm-hmm. a nice season for the, but he can play the middle and is 21. So th- there's some more there there with regards to prospect development. Right, yeah. Of Atu, Ratu. And if you're going to correct me on the segue, yeah. Bastille. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. A couple of BC lines worked out for NFL teams. Mathieu Betts, the reigning defensive or most outstanding Canadian player in the Canadian football league, of course, broke Brent Johnson's club and league record for sacks by a Canadian. The Cleveland Browns and the Detroit lions have worked out bets. Now he's 28. Yeah. And that's a little late to be moving on to the national football league. They're typically looking for guys younger, but I'll say this, that he worked out for Detroit. That would give me a little bit of concern if I was Neil McAvoy and Rick Campbell in the Lions Den, simply because I don't think Dan Campbell gives a blank about your age. He is a different breed of NFL coach. He's looking for a certain type of player, a certain type of competitor. Of course, he generated all those headlines with biting kneecaps and things of that. He's looking for guys who will get after it. And if Betts impressed him, then I think you throw the age out of the window. I think most NFL GMs, pro player personnel guys would look at it and go, ah, 28. It's, you know, 
But I, I do wonder whether Campbell and the Lions are a bit of a different breed there. And then, but the, I mean, the, if you're Matthew Betts, you know, you know, you have to know that you're just going down as a special teams player, right? Like you're not oh, playing. Of course, on you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you were going down as a special teams player, hoping to create opportunity as a rotational defensive lineman, based on how you practice and whether there's injury and attrition. Is he, is he big enough to play in even a national? I don't, I don't well, know. but the thing is, is that, you know, the NFL is now going to so many different sort of fronts. He'd be a Jamal Adams type. You mean like the way that the Seahawks bring him up for blitzes and that sort of thing. Is that what you're th- well, suggesting? So, okay. So he's 6'3", 250. So that's not the biggest 4'3 defensive end. But again, you're seeing all sorts of different fronts now in the NFL. You're. Do I think he can play outside linebacker at 6'3", 250 in the NFL? No, I don't. So to me, his only line into playing time in the regular defense is that as a 4-3 base defense event, if you will. Um, that's a front that you're seeing less and less of now mm-hmm. in the NFL. A lot more three defensive linemen sets with the extra defensive back or the 4-2 with five defensive backs. So, no, look, I I think it's a long shot. Now, Josh Woods, their linebacker, who worked out for the Denver Broncos alongside six other CFL players, he's 26. And he could well be a starter for you based on whether or not you re-sign Ben Laddick, the outstanding Canadian middle linebacker from Vernon. Bottom line, a couple of lines have worked out for NFL teams. And we'll see how... We'll see if the Lions can get some business done with their own free agents, and there's a good number of them and quality players by mid-February when CFL free agency starts. Speaking of ex, uh, speaking of the Lions, ex-quarterback Nathan Rourke. Oh, timing. So Jacksonville signs Matt Barkley off the Giants practice squad this week because Trevor Lawrence has a shoulder matter. And it seems like that... If Rourke had stayed with the Jaguars, he would be in uniform this weekend for Jacksonville if Lawrence can't go. In uniform. Not playing. Not playing but he's in uniform this play week. Away. He's in uniform this week. He's got to be in uniform. For New England? Yeah, he has to. For the remainder of the season, he's got he's in uniform. Just wondering if he was closer to an actual live snap in Jacksonville this week. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Cleveland clinches a playoff berth with a defeat of the New York Jets on Thursday night football. The Joe Flacco story continues. You know, if he had had a half in the second half last night, he could have set an NFL record for passing yards in a month, breaking a Peyton Manning record. Wow. Joe freaking Flacco off the street, man. Yeah. I know some people are drawing a parallel to the, uh, Nick Foles story with the Philadelphia Eagles several years ago. Oh, age differences. Oh, yeah. that's it. To me, this is the Jim Plunkett story. Yeah. You're basically bringing in a guy from way back didn't and hoping this... he still has something, and Joe Flacco does. Rich Gannon had a late surge, didn't he? With the Raiders, yeah. but I don't think he had been out. Had he been, had he been out? Well, maybe. I don't think Gannon had been out. Or if he was, he certainly wasn't out as long as Flacco is. And, and the other thing is, you remember Flacco was in Denver for a year? Yeah. Like, look at the last few seasons for Flacco. Not very good. Now, not on good teams. Quarterbacks a function of the players around him. 
But in a million years, when I heard that, oh, Flacco is signing with Cleveland, didn't think for a second that he'd be their season savior. So they can still win the AFC North. They can still win the AFC's top seed if things break right for them. But what we do know is that there are two AFC North teams that are already in the playoffs in Baltimore and Cleveland. So that leaves two wild cards available for the remaining field, not to mention the division winners. Every single game on the NFL card this weekend, Blake, has playoff implications either one way or the other. That includes the Seattle Seahawks playing host to Mason Rudolph at quarterback and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers making the change there, sticking with Rudolph. And then there's Russell Wilson. Oh, my. Russell Wilson. So. As we know, Russell Wilson is a uh, a certain way. He uh, likes attention. Who likes attention more, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson? Mm. Outward, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think he uh, Russell just wants adoration. Right. Well, there was a report that Peyton said to him earlier this year, would you stop kissing every fucking baby? You're not running for office. Mm-hmm. Sean Peyton is a Bill Parcells disciple. Parcells used to have a rule on quarterbacks. Don't need no celebrity quarterbacks. Russell Wilson was absolutely trying to be the celebrity quarterback. Russell Wilson was acquired by the previous ownership and management group of the Denver Broncos, the estate of the uh, actually late Canadian Pat Bolin, owner of the Broncos for many years. Then they were sold to this Walmart group. So there was no alignment here. And I think it was pretty clear from those who knew Sean Payton, the personality and knew Russell Wilson, the personality, that this probably wasn't going to work. The redemption arc was there for a moment. There was a month of redemption. arc. Well, and, and, and here's the part where, and look, I know there's a lot of twelves out there who were sitting there going good on, looks good on Russell. Let him be cut in March. Imposter, phony, all those things, polarizing, all those things. Fair enough. They went to Wilson after he had won a game. And yes, as the turnaround started there in Denver and asked him to waive 30 some million in injury guarantees for next year. Whoa. Now it's gotten to the point where Sean Payton's going to bench him for the last two games despite the fact Blake Denver is still in the hunt yeah like how often do coaches lean on the math with regards to their decision made oh we're not mathematically eliminated got a big game to play this way Peyton's not even going there he's looking medium term though he he sees I'm going to we are screwed as a team economically over the next few years if we have to pay Russell Wilson what we're paying him no but you you are regardless now you have now created a situation where you are paying him because no one's going to trade for the contract. So you're going to cut him in March and you're going to suffer unprecedented dead money, the likes of which the NFL has not seen 80 plus million dollars. But you can't cut him. Well, that's if you cut him in March. Yeah, but you can't cut him if he's injured. So that, well, that's it. Yeah. And if he's injured, they would have walked off with this 37 million or whatever yeah. it was in, in injury guarantees. Here is, look, 
Sean Payton fancies himself a quarterback whisperer, offensive guru, and all that. And if Russell Wilson isn't his cup of tea, so be it. Here's the one question you have to ask yourself whenever you're making a move of this order. Who's better? Who can we get that's better? And Blake, I'm having a tough time with that with the Denver Broncos. Well, it, yeah, we've talked about the the dearth of quarterbacks in, on the planet, much less available. Because like, to me, Russell Wilson is still a top 10, top 15 quarterback in the world. In fact, his numbers compare favorably this year with Patrick Mahomes. So you're Denver. You're going to have $80 million plus in dead cap, which is going to affect your ability to attract and pay a star quarterback. You're picking 14th in the draft, which is, and you may lose out here and get up into the top 10, but you're still probably below the line where you can get one of the best three quarterbacks in this draft. And you're already short some draft capital, including a second round pick because you traded it to Seattle. Mm Mm-hmm. For Russell Wilson. So Sean Payton may have his ear to the ground there and know of a quarterback situation in the winter that's going to turn with his ability to attract that player to Denver and be better or as good at that position as you have been with Russell. But to me, this looks very contrived and disingenuous from Payton. I mean, like the screaming matches on the sidelines when his calling timeouts were as much to blame as whatever Russell Wilson did. Like to me, Sean Payton had it in from long ago and is executing as much an ego play here as he is a play that's in the best winning interest of the Denver Broncos next season. Let me ask you this though. You say that that contract is untradeable. This is a league that just saw Joe Flacco return. Yeah. <laughs> that has seen fourth stringers aplenty Mm -hmm. make appearances to very little success. Mm -hmm. You tell me nobody's desperate for, for two to three year fix. So there would have to be a significant and troublesome contract going back the other way. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the quarterback position. Yep. And as you, the one position where you may well get somebody, and you're not the only one that sees the favorable numbers to Patrick Mahomes, and no one's calling Russell Wilson Patrick Mahomes right now. But I'm saying is, no, his numbers are not bottom of the league. Again, he's still one of the best 10, 15 quarterbacks on the planet. Right. So if you're one of these teams, and there's I don't know eight of them probably that have had just you know historically terrible quarterback performances this year. Yep. None of them can make that work. Do you think you're better off with Daniel Jones next year? If you're the Broncos? I depends on what coach thinks. If he thinks that he's more and more moldable and and Peyton may well think that, right? Peyton may well think that Daniel profiles a little more, a little more customary quarterback. Maybe he likes that. Yeah. I don't know. Here's what I do know, Sean. Drew Brees is not walking. He's not walking through that door. And, and, you know, you would have thought with the profile that he would have liked Russell a little bit more given, you know, there are some similarities there to Drew Brees, but let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Great spot to catch the games throughout the season. Quick walk to the Rinker stadium. Greta go-to spot for food, drinks, and fun before and after the game, make it a game night at Greta 50 West Cordova or a Greta bar. 
Whitecaps.com. We'll talk to JPAT here. We'll do some hashtags and then the Whitecaps. Big signing. We'll get into that as well. Time now for the welcome back. Than be the boss here. Jim Rutherford and his Canucks front office are interested in acquiring good players. Either way, the ghost of Lily Erickson is here to stay. This team needs architecture, not finger painting. Can't help feel it's opportunity lost come New Year's Day in the Emerald City. The third year Seattle Kraken will play host to the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights in the not so wintry classic at T Mobile Park. Forecast a mix of sun and cloud. High of 8 degrees Celsius, 30% chance of rain. Two newest teams in the NHL will take center stage for one of the league's marquee. Is it still marquee events? Mm, yeah, no, yeah, by their yeah. metrics, yeah. But by all rights, Seattle's opponent should be the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, I know. The game is hopefully a decent ratings driver for the NHL, and the presence of a Canadian team would hurt that number. The alternative is a game that lacks soul. And that's frankly what these outdoor games have turned into under Gary Bettman. Cash grab gates for the hosting team. Every governor lobbying to get one and sell tens of thousands more tickets than they otherwise would in an arena. The visitors this year come from Vegas, but you have to wonder how many fans will be joining them. Despite a championship, Golden Knights are still growing their fan base. And here's doubting that many make the trip from sunny Las Vegas to the damp Pacific Northwest for this game. Likewise, the Kraken have a developing audience and watching hockey in a baseball park will surely be a novelty bound to bring out some looky loose. But if outdoor games are supposed to hearken a call to the sport's roots, they should be more than just roadside fascinations. The Canucks and their fans would have made for a better opponent, better scene, a better event. And with the way they're playing this season, think of how many Canucks fans would have made the trip. This was the stage needed to stoke the I-5 rivalry. It finally got some fuel in November when Canucks fans invaded Climate Pledge Arena over the U.S. Thanksgiving weekend, watched their team merge with a victory. The presence of loud and proud interlopers finally kicked this would-be blood feud in the tail. Beyond that, it's clear that this market has PTSD over hosting a, a stadium, not outdoor, a stadium game of its own the 2014 Heritage Classic defeat to the Ottawa Senators. Not only marked Roberto Luongo's last stand in Vancouver, it also left fans feeling like they were deprived of the full experience. Rainy outside, expensive inside, it fell neatly into the cash grab brand that these games have become. So a true outdoor game in Seattle may be the best way to get Canucks fans back on board with outdoor hockey and there would have been no better time than this year. Too bad the NHL didn't recognize that. Too bad U.S. television didn't see the vision. And too bad for a rivalry that could certainly use some fuel. That's welcome out for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at secarisonprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter. I'm at Sikaris, at Price. And the Welcome Matter presentation of Great Clips, 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, all of them proudly Canadian-owned and operated. Sakaris Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Langley. Have you stuffed a cash guy under the tree? 
did you do that? It was the big red bow in the driveway. Boy, that would have been a reveal on Christmas morning, wouldn't it? It's a heck of a tree. It, it would be. Yeah. The front redwood Christmas tree. Potentially Douglas fir. Yeah. So whatever's in the front yard. Uh, the twenty twenty three cash guy would have been a great choice. Financing rates from four point four nine percent. Go check it out right now at Applewood Nissan and Langley. It's all good at Applewood. Full question today asking you, what is the Canucks' biggest need? A top six winger, a top four right shot defense. You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Here he is from Rinkwide, our Canucks reporter. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Jeff Patterson. Hi, guys. Wasn't such a merry uh, occasion at uh, Rogers Arena last night. Canucks didn't do their part, certainly, but uh, it was nice to have a, a couple of days off, a little bit of a break. Some family time is great. Too much family time? Yeah, that's for another discussion, but... Uh, uh, yeah, back at it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, only really one team showed up uh, at the rink on Thursday night. So uh, Canucks have a little work to do here coming out of this Christmas break. I had to throw them out of my apartment on Boxing Day. It was just too much. Uh, yeah, an extended Christmas break for the Canucks, Jeff. I mean, that's one of their worst losses of the year. And again, to Philadelphia on Thursday. Yeah, good news is they are done with the Flyers. Won't see them again, but just one goal in two games against this Philadelphia team that you know, I think the league is sleeping on a little bit. I mean, they're not sexy. They don't have superstars, but man, Torts has them bought in. They uh, essentially uh, 18 clones that uh, just compete and play hard and ultimately broke the Canucks down. And, you know, I think this is an issue for the Vancouver Canucks that, you know, they're finished with San Jose. The game before Christmas was the last time that they're going to see the Sharks. Uh, and you just think in recent weeks here, go back to the final game in November when they saw Vegas and Vegas schooled them. You know, I was shot them by a two to one margin, built a four nothing lead. Then there was the game in Minnesota at the start of the recent road trip that uh, went to a shootout. Ultimately, uh, the Canucks lost two to one in that one, uh, but they had trouble breaking down the Minnesota Wild, who were stingy and starting to play well. And this Philadelphia team, again, I, I don't think it's getting the credit right now. One outright loss in a dozen games. They're not giving up much. And boy, the Canucks, uh, you know, whether it was the break, I mean, both teams were coming off the layoffs. So it cut both ways in that regard. In the first period, it was terrible. Neither team looked very good in the first period. But in that second period, the sloppiness continued and the Canucks just unable to generate a lot of offense. You know, it's funny to say that, the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League. But when you strip it away and stylistically against some of these teams that are tougher to play against, I think this is the issue for Rick Tockett moving forward because uh, they've set themselves up. They've scored away enough points. They still look like they're going to be a playoff team. And I'm not throwing them out based on one poor effort against the Philadelphia Flyers. But I do think, you know, in our jobs, it's more important to to scratch beneath the surface and say, okay, four to one, that part wasn't good. What went wrong? And they are having trouble breaking down some of these teams that don't give them time and space. And guess what? You get to the playoffs, that's all you're going to see. So I do think the second half is full of some of the best offensive teams in the National Hockey League you know, I've said this before, but they haven't seen the Los Angeles Kings. They haven't seen the Winnipeg Jets. They haven't seen the Boston Bruins. They've only played Vegas once. I think I did the math that 20 of their remaining 45 games are against top 10 teams yeah, defensively well, yeah. in the National Hockey League. So half of the schedule that remains for the Vancouver Canucks is against good teams and against good defensive teams. And that is going to pose a challenge. Both in terms of that macro and in the micro of the next week or so, what's the role of coaching here? Because there's a lot of practice time. Finally, um, how big a role is, is Rick talking all this? Yeah. And we have noted that, you know, through the month of December, when there were a couple of losses that he didn't like, I think back to the New Jersey game when they gave up six and they were running around all night long. And I thought, Oh boy, like we may see Rick talk it 
crack the whip here. And instead, he went the other way on the spectrum and gave them a day off. And so because of the condensed schedule and the amount of hockey they had played through November and, and into December, I think he had to pick his spots. Well, his spot now is a whole bunch of time here until the next game on January 2nd. I think we might see a, a meaner uh, Rick Tockett emerge here, almost like a midseason training camp, if you will, a scaled-down boot camp. Remember, he used that word uh, when they lost in Seattle in his second game, and he talked about having to you know, have a boot camp with this group. They've come a long way since uh, he took over, but there are still some warts and some red flags that have emerged, and you know they've given up four goals in three straight games, so... Uh, that catches your attention right away. And could they have used a few more saves along the way? Sure. But I look at the goals that Philadelphia scored. Oh, and I, yeah. I'm not hanging Casey DeSmith out, and he's been terrific for them. So He was hanging out. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to be careful <laughs> when I say that. But just collectively, you know, the goaltender is part of the team. They have given up four in three straight, and that's the first time that that's happened to the Vancouver Canucks all season long. So uh, there's certainly some work to be done in the defensive zone, getting back to the non-negotiables and the staples and, and structure. But there are two ends of the ice, and I mean, that power play, uh, guys, I, I think that's something that we really have to jump all over here because you can get carried away and look at the overarching statistics for the entire season, and there's still a top 10 power play in the National Hockey League, but strip that away as well. Uh, since mid-November, the power play running at 14%, the last 10 games at just 12%, and that was another game last night, like that game in Minnesota a couple of weeks ago, that was begging for the Canucks difference makers to step up with the man advantage. And not only did they flush through three opportunities, they got scored on for the first time this season with the shorthanded goal that sealed the deal. So uh, the component parts are there. The players on the power play are better than the power play has been, but really we're going back 20 games now. So more than half the games that they have played and the power play operating at 14%. Uh, again, you get to the playoffs and, and I'm, you know, I'm starting to, I, I'm giving this team the benefit of the doubt that it's going to be a playoff team. So I'm starting to view what lies ahead through a playoff prism. There will be some nights where the power play simply has to be a difference maker for the Vancouver Canucks. And it's been a while since that's been the case here. Well, especially since I listened to coach again last night, Jeff, they're just uncomfortable in these zero zero games where you're waiting for the other team to make uh, a mistake. It's, it's one thing to be able to win games when the puck and the movement is free flowing and goals and opportunities are aplenty, but it just seems like they get shook every time you're in a low scoring game. And this one, 35 minutes scoreless, Flyers playing their game, waiting, waiting, waiting for the Vancouver Canucks to make a mistake. And sure enough, they did. And I think that's one of the things you got to watch because those are playoff style games. Right. And so that's why I go back to the early stages, six minutes into the second period, scoreless. Canucks haven't done anything. They got outshot 13 to 7 in the first period. I don't know what Rick Tockett's message was between periods, but they look the same coming out for the start of the second, but they get a power play. And, you know, you can forgive all their sins to that point if the power play strikes and gets them on the board and gets them a lead. We've seen they're a really good team this year when they get the lead. But guess what? The other team's trying to get the lead as well. So, you know, you're not always going to open the scoring. And I just thought the first power play was brutal. And I think the coach did as well, because uh, it really was an even split uh, first unit and second unit. And that hasn't been sort of the, the blueprint for the Vancouver Canucks uh, throughout this season. But I think Tockett had seen enough from his top end guys and wanted to give the second unit an opportunity. And so by the time that the Flyers scored the shorthanded goal, uh, too much damage had been done. But that one essentially sealed off any sort of comeback bid. And that was disappointing, too, that they get the start they want in the 
third period, we know that they can score goals. And then, you know, when Sam Erson leaves the game with cramps and dehydration, in comes Carter Hart, hasn't played since before Christmas, and before the Canucks can even test him, and they had the power play, the Flyers are putting one in at the other end of the ice. So, you know, there were a couple of turning points in that hockey game to me. And uh, again, I look at top end players, uh, I look at the power play, and I just think that uh, it is starting to hurt them now. And that's a, a funny thing that I, I didn't think that I would say throughout this season because it was so good in the early going, an absolute difference maker. Uh, but the power play has dried up. And, and you look at the last two power play goals they've scored, guys, against San Jose and Chicago. Well, guess what? There are better teams, a lot of better teams in the National Hockey League than the Sharks and the Blackhawks. And they're done with the Sharks. They'll see the Blackhawks a couple more times, but you've got to find a way to produce uh, when the chips are down. And that power play just isn't coming through for them right now. What'd you make of uh, Quinn Hughes' frustration of that game? He he sounded a little bit uh, lack of, well, he didn't say much after the the game. and, And I noticed in the second period, they had a nice spell of possession. They're, they're working the puck around the perimeter. Petey gives up the, a chance to take a shot, gives it to Ronick, who fires it off an ankle into the crowd, and and, and Hughes slams his stick onto the ice. Um, you don't see that a whole lot from Quinn Hughes. No, and it's funny because uh, we had a good chat with him after the morning skate. Uh, he'd gone home uh, to Michigan for uh, Hughes family Christmas, uh, seemed to be in pretty good spirits, and I think was looking forward to the opportunity of starting out of the break on the right foot and continuing what they had done heading into the break with points in nine straight games. You know, it was one of those nights where the underlying numbers with Hironic and Hughes on the ice at even strength, the Canucks outshot the Flyers eight to one. Like they tilted the ice. They did what they do. And usually that results in good things for the Vancouver Canucks. But last night was one of those nights where it just wasn't happening. And in fact, the one shot was the Flyers' second goal. So uh, even Hughes and Hironic didn't get out of the night unscathed. But, you know, you make a point, Blake, that I noticed as well. Uh, We've seen it a little bit, certainly with Andre Kuzmenko, but just looking off and giving up like what looked like pretty good shooting opportunities. Brock Besser at one point in the second period, puck slid to him in the slot. We're talking about a 24-goal scorer, you know, a guy that leads this team, and everything he touches finds its way into the net. It looked like he had time. Yeah, the Flyer players were closing on him, but if I'm Brock Besser, I'll take Brock Besser, you know, with a 60% effort, putting a puck on the net and take my chances there, and you know, even he looked off and tried to pass up uh, the puck to a teammate. And so there was just a, an awful lot of that. And, and the other side of that coin is that when they passed, their passing was brutal as well against the Flyers. Like they had so much the puck to- management. Yeah. The puck was a grenade. It really was. was. And, weird. you know, yeah. can you chalk it up to three days off? Maybe. Again, it was that way for both teams. And I think the first period certainly indicated that. But, yeah, I mean, they just have to be better, you know, simple plays to break the puck out and then get to the attack. And when you're in the offensive zone, you know, I think back to the early stages of the game when Pedersen off the rush, again, in the slot, looked like he was in a prime shooting position, slides it over to Kuzmenko on the left wing, and that shot got blocked as well. And give the Flyers credit. I mean, that's towards hockey, obviously, you know, putting your body on the line and sacrificing and those types of things. But, uh, yeah, the Canucks were off, and uh, we'll see how quickly they can uh, get it back. I saw you tweeting about this. What did you make of the decision for uh, Casey DeSmith last night, Jeff? I was okay with it. I, I think this is something that has kind of been swept under the rug a little bit in the month of December because of that third line, because of the goals that this team has scored. Thatcher Demko is running with a sub-900 save percentage in all situations. In the month of December, he's 6-1-1. One one. I mean, you can't argue with the record, but 
you think about the four goals that got past him in Dallas, like you would like to stop somewhere in there. I didn't love the goals that the stars scored. And then, you know, it was a sloppy game ahead of Christmas. You can understand a lot of guys probably one foot out the door. It was San Jose, but the Sharks got four on him as well. And, you know, his last three starts, Demko's given up four, four, and three. And so, you know, I think he needs to tighten up as well. And they've got this opportunity and load management. And Rick Tockett talked about playing the long game. And heading into that game, Casey DeSmith has been terrific. We've talked about that a lot throughout the season. His last three starts prior to last night had given up just three goals in three games and had a shutout in there. So, you know, on balance, I had no problem going with Casey DeSmith. I think he's earned the opportunity. I think the team has full trust in him. And, you know, if Thatcher Demko needs a break, I would have flipped it. I thought DeSmith was going to get the game against the Sharks on Saturday to extend Thatcher Demko's holiday break and then have him hit the ground running. They elected to go the other way. That was their decision. You know, they got the win over the Sharks. They get nothing out of this one, but it wasn't on Casey DeSmith. You know, I've seen some people wondering, oh, they did it because uh, something must be up. I mean, that's always the the Canuck Twitter way, right, is that if a guy isn't performing, something's got to be up. Well, Thatcher Demko was a full participant in practice on Wednesday. They had a long skate on Wednesday. They had a full morning skate on Thursday. They've got a practice goaltender in their stable this year. If there was even a niggle of an injury or something wrong with Thatcher Demko, he's not practicing on Wednesday. Uh, I think this was a coach's decision based on recent performance here. And and the hope is that uh, some time off, an opportunity to work through this with Ian Clark, you know, arrested Thatcher Demko. They got a seven-game road trip coming up uh, in the offing after the game against Ottawa. They're going to need Thatcher Demko to get back to his early season ways. And so uh, Demko's been terrific for them. Uh, it's a long season. Guys are allowed to have little blips in their performance. Uh, he has picked the team up. Uh, the team needs to pick him up. And and they have, for the most part. Again, offense generally hasn't been an issue. Uh, but I didn't have a problem. I, I thought Casey DeSmith has earned opportunities to the point where people really shouldn't bat an eye when they go to their backup goaltender. He's been that good for them. Well, get used to this because uh, six games in 11 days on the road following this January 2nd affair at Rogers Arena against the Ottawa Senators. That's Tuesday. Basically, 8-2-2 in December. January starts with a home game, then a whole lot of roadies through uh, some tough teams and, of course, some desperate teams as well in the Eastern Conference trying to stay in touch with the playoff pack or stay above the bar. How important is the Tuesday game, given what's what's coming after thereafter, Jeff? Yeah, I, look, this team's been really good at bouncing back. We know the fact that they haven't let losing streaks sort of fester, and Rick Talk had talked about that post-game. Uh, and I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. Again, it was a bad game. Make no mistake about that. They have 10 outright losses in 36 games. So they have done a lot of good. The, the season isn't a mirage to this point. They're not a perfect team. We know that. Uh, you know, are they going to be able to address some of their areas of concern? I suppose uh, we'll find out. Uh, you know, we're getting into January, which over history has kind of been Jim Rutherford's time to pounce and operate. They've already made the one significant trade for Nikita Zadorov, who, by the way, 600th game last night. Uh, I'm guessing there are probably 590 some that have been better uh, than that one. Uh, he was. He might have celebrated before the game. Yeah, uh, roll a Christmas yeah. 600 game celebration yeah. all into one. It carried over a little too long. Um, you know, so, you know, what role will management have in all of this? But Carson Soucy back skating, guys, uh, he may be available for that game against Ottawa. If that's the case, fully, completely healthy. When does that ever happen in pro sports? But particularly for the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, you know, you, you can't use injuries. You can't say that they're waiting for pieces to come back here uh, outside of the power play. They want it to return. But, 
Yeah, I, I think it's important as a springboard to the road trip. I think as a show internally, but also to the fan base and the rest of the league that, you know, they've got to find a way to make something happen against Ottawa to get that good feeling back because out on the road is not going to be easy. And they're going to spend a lot of both January and February on the road. They got that monster nine-game homestand in March. And I do think that uh, that's going to serve them well this year. But uh, there's a lot of hockey to be played away from home before they get to that point. So, Senators... Meaningful games in March. Yeah. No, I, I, the bar, I think, has finally been raised. It's been a yes, long time coming. Absolutely. You know, but they get... But Ottawa but, plays twice out east before they come here. The Senators have played the fewest games mm-hmm. in the National Hockey League. So, you know, the schedule absolutely works in the Vancouver Canucks' favor for this one. Uh, and we'll see what these days of practice look like, what the tone is. But, man, there is zero excuse if the Canucks aren't ready to go uh, at the drop of the puck against the Sens on the second to ring in the new year. But before you go, you just brought up a really good point about Jim Rutherford's early pouncing, which I, I think Alvin and him have, have already uh, lived up to that, I think, with their work in the first half of the season. But in terms of now, uh, you know, finishing pieces, however, just lowercase f finishing pieces, um, is there a better, is there not a better time to call up another team than when you're fully healthy, when you don't look desperate when you don't look susceptible you got everything and 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 by extension everybody in your roster is available available to be traded because everybody's healthy so if you have any thought to trade maybe now is the perfect time to make that phone call jeff yeah i i i agree with that line of thinking and we've seen jim rutherford try to get out in front of the curve doesn't like to pay trade deadline market prices and tries to establish the market himself uh you know i i am curious to see what these days of practice look like the top six to me feels like it needs uh, some tinkering right now. You know, Niels Hoaglander, I, I don't want to call him an experiment. I think he played well enough to earn the opportunity in the top six. He's gone quiet, though. Uh, you know, what do you do with him? Uh, obviously, uh, there are others in that top six. But, you know, at the start of the year, PDG was in your top six. Anthony Beauvillier was here. He's not around anymore. Uh, there are options. And I know that that's been your poll question here throughout uh, the program. You know, they, they don't... I just think nights like last night again expose the fact that they are short a top six winger and getting Carson Soucy back here shortly. I think that they can patchwork uh, enough of a defense, the defense by committee, whatever the case, if they're getting the kind of goaltending that they've got for most of the season, my concern now, and again, I know they're the highest scoring team in the league, but secondary scoring is great when it is secondary scoring. When it's primary scoring, the way that third line is right now, you know, that raises some some red flags for me. And so is it about finding a winger that Elias Pettersson can, you know, get back into lockstep with and sort of bring out the, the dynamic Elias Pettersson? Because guys, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. Uh, he's still among the NHL points leaders, but so much of that was the early season. He's less than a point a game guy here over the last 18. Like if you go 18 game splits, 36 games into the season, he's got 15 points in his last 18 games, which isn't a terrible pace, but... We know that there's more there, and I think some of that has been Kuzmenko in and out of the doghouse, in and out of the lineup, and off that Pedersen line. You know, it would be nice to get Elias Pedersen, a guy that uh, a scoring winger that he can trust and build some chemistry with, whatever the case. So I'm answering winger to your poll question for sure, and I'm just kind of curious. Uh, we've seen Rick Tockett uh, tinker here and there. Uh, again, Pia Suter got a promotion, replaced Hoaglander in the third period when they were just trying to find a little bit of a spark. So, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see what the formation and the deployment is uh, over these days of practice to get a sense of how they might line up uh, when they get back to work against the Sins.
Yeah, you better get him that winger before he goes running off to join Connor Bedard in Chicago, yeah. right? Mm. Um, scare him off to Chicago. Susie, do you think he'll play against Ottawa? And Jeff, the big question, who plays the right side when Carson Susie comes back? Right, and we'll get some clues, certainly through these days of practice. I, I am leaning that way. We had a good chat with Carson Susie for the first time since the injury, which was November 12th in Montreal. Uh, ahead of the game against the Flyers, seemed to be in good spirits, uh, said he was close, wouldn't put a time frame on it. You know, if they had beaten the Flyers, uh, again, maybe you stick with a winning lineup. Uh, the fact that they have slipped a little defensively, I, I think the door is open. You know, if he gets through these days of hard practice, yesterday at the morning skate was the first time with the group, and morning skates and practices are different things. Uh, and I do think the tone is uh, certainly going to be a little bit different here in terms of uh, how hard Rick Tockett works these guys over the next couple of days. You know, if Susie comes through this with flying colors, uh, as long as he gets the medical clearance, I see no reason why uh, he wouldn't join this group. But certainly, uh, he's going to travel uh, out on that road trip. So if it isn't the Ottawa game, it's shortly thereafter. Uh, but I think the door is open. The fact that uh, they've given up as many goals as they have here lately, uh, you know, penalty kill, yeah, it got uh, beaten for a goal last night by the worst power play in the National Hockey League. But penalty kill hasn't been as big an issue as the as the power play has been. Uh, but we will be monitoring that story very closely when he starts to take reps in practice and which side of the ice is he on. And uh, I think by extension, we would imagine that Ian Cole will be the other guy and maybe it's Cole that slides over to the right side. Well, Jeff, we'll be listening to Rinkwide, and you'll be in for me here next week. Thank you for this. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to the Patterson family, and we'll catch up down the road. Yeah, you guys as well. Have a great uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, we'll see what 2024 brings for the Vancouver Canucks. Sakaris Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter.com, brought to you by VGH Millionaire Lottery. And your time to buy VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets is now with your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets. You get in and win one of the 10 grand prize options, including homes in Vancouver, South Surrey, Lake Country, or West Kelowna. You can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets the current jackpot is nearing $2 million. Every ticket purchased, of course, supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. Your tickets support life-saving care at BC's largest hospital and help our doctors, nurses, staff, healthcare workers, and all patients who visit VGH every day. Order in person at London Drugs. MillionaireLottery.com. Must be 19 plus to play. Know your limit. Play within it. Back to the World Juniors we go at Stat Center. What a run it's been for this golden generation for Team Slovakia. Most career rural juniors goals by a player with Team Slovakia from 1996 forward. Well, first of all, do you know who would be leading the Team Slovak goal list? All time? Yep. Havel Dimitra. Nope. Marian Hosa. Nope. He's, he's uh, tied for fourth. Uh, Peter Bondra. Nope. So he's too early. This is 96 forward. Mirror slap Shatan. Nope. I'm out. Richard Ponick. And by a oh, country mile. Okay. 15 world. Yeah, he went off. Ladislav Slav Nagy is tied with Thomas Tatar at second with 10 goals. Ponick with 15. And now the active Servak Petrovsky, after two goals in the 8-4 win over Norway, um, is at nine. So it's very conceivable he's 
in second, at least, by the end of this tournament behind Ponick. We have talked about it for the last few years here that finally we're seeing the rise of the Velvet Revolution countries back in hockey. Czechs and Slovaks both look much better. We just saw versus Bedard last year, of course. What a great uh, game that was. Mm -hmm. And now it's, uh, well, Slovakia was pretty good last year too. Um, And here they are. They're returning and looking strong again. Well, yeah, and I mean, for years, both those countries suffered from the uh, split and the lack of financing that was available for their programs, particularly on the Slovakia side. But, you know, Slavkovsky and Nemec go first and second overall. The Czechs make their run to the gold medal last year. So, yeah, uh, international hockey is better when those two teams are competitive Mm -hmm. with the best teams in the world, and particularly so given that Russia is once again missing from the proceedings at the World Junior Hockey Championships. At OHL Hockey, providing some historical context to Rangers blue liner Hunter Bristevich's outstanding first half with 55 points over 34 games. And, of course, he went into the Christmas break tied in scoring in the OHL with Carson Reckoff, the uh, Canadian World Junior winger, Second defenseman to lead the OHL in scoring at Christmas time ever. And the first, the only other guy, do you remember Brian Fogarty, defenseman with the Niagara Falls team who led the OHL in scoring in in, uh, 1988? Blake, Brian Fogarty, is one of the all-time first-round pick, ninth overall to the Quebec Nordiques, really didn't amount to much in the National Hockey League, but had a 47-goal season as a defenseman in the OHL. How about 47-108, 155 points in 60 games for the Niagara Falls Thunder in 88-89? Of course, famous for the quote, uh, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. That was was John. That was was John. Very Very good play. At World Soccer Talk. Uh, Last point. Yeah. Bristevich should be in this tournament. Yes. I miss watching him when I'm watching the U.S. At World Soccer Talk, what has happened to U.S. soccer's golden generation? There are no Americans in the Guardians' top 100 soccer players. At the same time, MLS isn't developing new American stars who are midfielders or strikers, and Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national team is under achieving um what happened to pulisic he's just not on the the rankings i mean Mm. this is a bit of a a clickbaity article i think trying to i mean jirena is uh, has been a little bit failure launch but i think he's coming along now finally um could they have been better than they've been yeah absolutely they could have been given Mm. given where they're landing Uh, the beauty is there's a Canadian. Yeah, of course. Now, there is. now, before we pound the chest too much, there's one. There's one. David didn't make it. Nope. And and Davies slipped 32 spots. Oh. In fact, two or three years ago, three years ago, I think Davies was 32nd on the list. Oh, wow. No, no, no. Pardon me. He was 23rd on the list. Oh, so just out of the uh, top two teams. And now just he's out in, of the two best uh, starting 11s. And now he's 96th. So. Both of the North American teams could stand to uh, pull up the socks a little bit. Well, in the case of the U.S., I mean, some of us predicted four World Cups ago that they would win one of the next five World Cups. Yes. They've got a lot of work to do for 2026. To prove you're right here, yeah. Here's the thing. 
Trevor Martins, he kept that receipt, Blake. Did he? He occasionally tweets at me about it. Oh, wow. He is so anxious to dunk on me for that take that he has squirreled it away, put it in the safety deposit box for the better part of 15 years now. To be fair, to be fair, I remember it vividly the minute you unveiled that that hot sizzling take. hot take. Mm-hmm. You were very proud of it. Like you like you were you were pretty proud that yeah. you had you had gotten ahead of this one. Proud of most of my time. <laughs> they typically age better than this one. At Devin underscore Rue, female athlete of the year, swimming sensation summer Macintosh is the Canadian press female athlete of the year for 2023 and massive things ahead for the 17 year old as the Paris Olympics await a generational talent to be sure. And same on the men's side where Shea Gilgis Alexander is on a run of NBA games with X number of points, rebounds, assists, steals, or blocks. That is well, in some cases unrivaled in some cases, akin to, Michael Jordan, there is MVP talk for the Oklahoma City Thunder guard nearing the midpoint of the NBA calendar. And Blake, of course, he'll be in Paris, too, for the Olympics, leading the Canadian men's basketball team, which, let's face it, should by all rights win a medal and may well be the last team standing with the United States in a gold medal game that we have waited for forever. Talking about golden generations, golden generation of Canadian basketball players. Look forward to seeing what Gilgis Alexander can do both at the club and international level. I looked at that list of games and nobody had totaled up what the the average was, but it seems like he's averaging over 30 points over like the last 20 games or something like that. Pretty much all he does now is go out and score 30 points, drop at least five assists, few steals, few block, couple blocks, rebounds. He's been extraordinary. And it's a pretty good team, Blake. Um, tracking well, they're growing up, and they got tons of draft capital to be able to go out and add a veteran or two for the playoff mix. And his totals are the only ones that seem to rival Joel Embiid, who's having uh, yeah. a, like a 1990s yeah. sort of... Uh, but. Think of it, when when Steve Nash retired and after he won his second MVP, I think a lot of us looked around and went, well, something you'll never see again, a Canadian winning an NBA oh, MVP. Yeah. yeah. Could happen again this year. I got one more. Okay. Jay Nucci, 23, breaking the PGA Tour and the PIF have extended their December 31st, 2023, quote, deadline for a definitive agreement until the 2024 Masters. So about April 11th here, the deadline was always a soft target since it allowed the parties to extend it by mutual agreement. Coming to final terms on an agreement that reshapes a global sport was never going to happen in six months. Ultimately, this is a positive sign in that it shows the negotiations are, aren't being abandoned following the high-profile departure of John Rom. That is good news. The other thing I will say here is that this PGA Tour season is going to begin with these beefed up purses minus a deal time is on the Saudis side. Some, uh, it is not on the PGA tours side. Yeah. They know the, um, it could get extended again beyond the masters, but the longer this goes, I think the more difficult it's going to be for Jay Monahan and the PGA tour to get the deal they want. What a disaster. It is looking more and more mm-hmm. like Indy and IRL eating itself yeah. uh, to the point where, and they're not going to lose themselves globally, but I think the United States and Canada might, um, might lose track a little bit. 
Like honestly, like I think that that's well, what they're risking. Fields are these fields are going to get even weaker? One yeah. would suspect. And um, and it also it just doesn't feel like anybody's in charge. Like no, no one can trust Greg Norman as far as they can throw them, mm. much less the PIF. And like I, I just, are you going to be are you going to be incentivized to watch a PGA Tour event week to week? I'm certainly not incentivized to watch a live tour event week to week. So, like, are you just not going to watch then? And I think that might be the case That's for me. That's the other thing. Uh, I'm not sure time is on the side of the golf. No. And either. And look, this was one of, if not the sports business story of 2023. And I suspect it will be one of, if not the sports business story of 2024. Mm-hmm. And that's hashtags for today. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. News from Vancouver Whitecaps FC, where they have signed a midfielder who can play forward, Demir Krylock. He's 34 years old. They signed him to a two-year deal. He has been a Real Salt Lake captain, a one-time MLS all-star. 56 goals, 25 assists since 2018. A pretty good stat line there. Couple of seasons floating those totals. Mm-hmm. He's been no Tam, no designated money. At least you don't. Doesn't appear to be. It only became official on uh, Friday morning. Um, it, I mean, unless it gets clarified otherwise, it doesn't appear so. And if that's the case, well, hey. Who cares? I mean, if it doesn't work out, and the reason I say who cares if it doesn't work out, great player. If this is three years ago, I'm doing backflips for the Vancouver uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, but he has had a couple of really injury-riddled seasons, and he is 34 years of age. Um, so, you know, if this is instead of Junior Hoylet, sure, by all means. But I think asking this guy to start any number of games would be, uh, you know, a big ask. Um, How would he fit with Gold? Uh, he would be alongside Gold, I, I, I would guess. In in a perfect world, they find another certified striker, and then he would be. They would be. They would be. Uh, you Vanny know, wa- Vanny wants to play two forwards or one forward. I think still two. Okay. Um, White and somebody. Right. Well, I asked because ESPN story. Mm-hmm. The Whitecaps are one of two MLS sides, along with Atlanta, keeping tabs on Olivier Giroud, the 37-year-old, now with AC Milan, French international. His contract ends in 2024. There is an option to extend it into 2025, but he wants a significant role there, and he may well be past his years of Demanding, expecting, receiving a significant role with a club the size of AC Milan in Serie A in Italy at this stage. We have heard him long rumored with the Caps, like Strangely, actually, to the point of like, like this was like three years ago coming out of Chelsea. You know, like, you weren't getting him. That was a little much, but no, 2024, do the math for me. Is he available here? I mean, he he might be. Uh, he's still going to demand a a massive um, check. So are, are are the caps willing to to pay that price? Um, I don't know. 
Um, now, if you're well, wondering, the one th- the one thing I would say is, uh, I I think ownership of the Whitecaps has always felt when the team looks like it merits this sort of investment, mm-hmm. again, finishing pieces, lowercase f, that they would step up, particularly if it's a player who can help winning and help gate. Now, if you're wondering, okay, what does a 37-year-old have left in them, even the guys decorated as he, I mean, you know, go no further than Andre-Pierre Gignac uh, for Tigris, who we've seen at BC Place recently. He's 38. He's older than Giroux. He dazzled. So still could be pretty impactful, I think. Um, if you have the right service, and if you've got guys like White, Gold, and Crylock giving him that service, I, I think you've got I think you've got some options. Giroux also brings that international football star attitude. Oh, yeah. Very good-looking man, too. I mean, poster boy, too. He, he should really be married to a pop star. Yeah, you really should. What ones? <laughs> <laughs> Go see the Beckham documentary if you haven't. And then there's this. Tottenham goalkeeper Hugo Iris is reportedly in advanced talks to join LA. It's official now. He's, it's, he's, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Official. So what happens to Max Crapo? Is there any possibility of a return to Max Crapo, one-time Whitecaps team MVP? I, I don't think so i think that i think that ship has sailed but it just wasn't didn't like it he and the family didn't like it here i think more so maybe the family than anything else but Mm -hmm. i think that ship has sailed they've had a taste of la living i I think they probably are pretty intrigued by uh, southern continent sort of uh climbs but i mean i I think a third of the league probably went wait what Mm -hmm. max crapo's available after like he legitimately saves you soccer matches like mm-hmm. he he single-handedly can save you a soccer match yep. we've, we've seen it here in vancouver lafc has seen all the same stuff when he's healthy uh early in the, the finals this year early in the playoffs this year i mean mm-hmm. single-handedly kept them in game so um there's there literally it could be could be 10 teams that went wow. w- he's way better than what we got and could be a, a big year for max Crepeau 2024 we anticipate at some point he's going to take over as the number one keeper right. for canada uh, as well as at this stage of the game, likely uh, moving on and looking for. So if you're a team MLS. and you're wondering, oh, does he have like he's got this huge dangling carrot to be the starting keeper at a World Cup at a home World Cup, like Max Crapo is is not leaving anything left on the table here. So if you're if you're whatever the acquiring team is, you know you're getting the best of Crapo because he wants to be ready for 2026. Right. Poll question results from. Well, we could go Friday. Having moved into the first overall in points, do you believe the Canucks are the best team in the NHL? 2,800 votes on this. Yes or no? What did the people say? People said no. They said no. Percentage? 76. 86. Hmm. It was run like 91. Yeah. And then the Canucks beat San Jose. And they got some love. Kai, as an Ux fan, I say no, but top three at least. Thomas, they're the best team in Canada right now. Chris, 91% say no, but most of those people are devastated when they hear point percentage. Good show, Chris. And then Burrow Steele says, not the best, but more of a cup contender than the 94 team and less than a contender than the 2011 team. I think that's probably right. 
I know the 94 group thinks like, hey, we weren't an underdog and whatnot, but they were the seven seed. I know they had success previous to that, but yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, you hear all this talk about, are they legitimate? Are they legitimate as the top team in the league? No. But, you know, like if you're the eighth best team going into the playoffs, and I don't mean in the conference, I mean overall, like that's a really good team. That's a good yeah. team. And can they be the eighth or ninth best team in the league going into the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely they can. So if like it depends on what your definition is of legitimacy. You know, because well, if you're a contender, contender, you are by definition legitimate. Yeah, yeah. It's Department of Redundancy Department to say legitimate contender. If you're a contender, you're legitimate. Yeah. Errors and omissions from uh, a week ago Friday. We were reminiscing about Swedish goaltenders and Tommy Sallow, and that got us on to truly one of the most unique knockout round games I think we've ever seen at a best-on-best tournament, Canada versus Belarus. You'll remember Mm -hmm. the Belarusians upset the Swedes with a goal from distance on Tommy Salo. And we were wondering, Canada-Belarus, was that the quarter or the semi? Blake, it was the semi. Belarus got to the semi? Well, they beat Sweden in the course. That's what makes it so unique. They beat Sweden in the corners. Canada beat Finland in the quarters. And that set up. Canada and Belarus for the right to go to the gold medal match. And that's when we all learn that Gretzky is ethnically Belarusian. I'd, I'd forgotten that part. Well, that also came during that famous Wayne Gretzky rant, rant, crock of crap. Yeah. Everybody hates us. Everybody wants to beat us. So there's that. And then uh, there was a target for the Whitecaps, a Japanese player, Morishita, we were wondering if he was a Japanese international. He had but the one cap. Yeah. Let's get to the Betway bets of the day. Winter Classic from Seattle Monday. Kraken needed more. This will probably be one of the season highlights for the Kraken. Doubt they get to the playoffs. So I will take the home team at 1.90 on your Betway bet of the day. They're giving out gl- I wonder if any of the other outdoor games, they're giving out gloves, which seems like a really good giveaway. Those little expandable gloves. That seems like a really easy, and it just, it, it would be useful on that day rather than a bobblehead that you throw away the minute you get home. Oh, some people collect those bobbleheads. Um, do they? Uh, gloves, eight degrees and sunny. It's a, a, a nice thin pair of gloves. Still nice, nice to have. Oh, right? really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to be there for a while. I'm That's right. Probably caressing cold beverages. As a guy that has watched uh, his kids play outdoor activities in eight degrees, trust me, you get cold. You do. Being Are, still. Let me ask you this. Uh, when I used to go to like November football games outdoors, and of mm-hmm. course now we have the comfort and climbs of BC Place. Couldn't go beer. Maybe one to start where you while you still have the spirits. core temperature. Yeah. More spirits. Mm-hmm. Rum, something that, you know, gets you a little warm inside. Here's the thing. Consuming all the beverages mm-hmm. makes you want to pee. Your body has to warm up the pee in your body. There we go. It's all bad news. Biological. It's blanket. all bad news. You got to pee regularly, stay warm. Little tip. Pee regularly. Well, then you're wearing so many layers that going to the bathroom becomes quite a mission. Yeah fighting the lines depends just saying it's an option wow you gonna give me a line here hey, sure yeah we're moving on uh lines and cowboys I don't mean a bathroom key. saturday nfl mashup but god i love the holidays for the saturday uh nfl games uh, honestly uh the, the 
if they just wanted to go Thursday, Saturday, after the college is done, after U.S. Thanksgiving, I just think that would be so much better. Yeah. Like uh, looking at some of these teams and these rosters and like hearing announcers say they're without five starters from what they began with this season. It's like uh, the attrition rate in this league is unbelievable. And still two more weeks to go. And the college bowl season just doesn't have me, believe it or not, the Pop-Tart Bowl, uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Did, did uh, you see yeah, that, was a good, that edible mascot yeah. and the run it got on social media? Yeah, that was a great marketing ploy. I've been to that bowl game, yeah. but it was the Camping World Bowl at the time. Ah, the Camping World, yeah. And the walking tent is not the same thing. Not the same. No. I believe the trophy was a angler. Pulling a bass out of the water. The coach of the Duke Mail Bowl did not look super pleased about being coded in no, mail. No, I don't think. Well, the coach of the the winning coach for Kansas State having to eat the Pop Tart didn't necessarily look like. Did you was... see the reporter dipped a fry on the coach Ooh. during the interview, the post game interview? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little gross. Yeah, mm-hmm. sweaty coach. Anyway, Lions and Cowboys. I'll say this though, sponsorship activations. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally, absolutely. Uh, you're getting three on the Lions, and even three. Oh, wow. Um, bit of a long shot, obviously, on the road, but uh, what the hey? Hey, D- Dallas always gets bet up, though. Yeah, it's, it, the that's public's right. always on Dallas, so you always get a little value taking the Cowboys. Yeah. Opponent on your Betway bets of the day. Must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody, and Happy New Year. Reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and connect conversation wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Thanks for listening and keep it local.